There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the rock. <laughs> what is that from? I don't even, I have no clue. What is that from? That's actually, I heard it uh, at church recently. Okay. So it's based on some scripture in the Bible. Nice. Um, but anyways, I love the song. Nice. So Thank you. Thank stuck you. Stuck in my head ever since. Good. And, and, and we use it here on the show to open it up. Welcome to the Construction Life, Casey. Appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Manny. Thanks, man. I know we talked last week. I was on your show, so we were just basically. I guess we're gonna somewhat continue the conversation. That's all. Just uh, flip the flip the coin. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly. I all like right. when this this happens. Nice. <laughs> it works going. out perfectly. So we're talking to the conscious builder here. Uh, I guess formally, you're a GC. Are you still in the tools, or are you just handling the business more? Uh, on the business side now, I I did do a couple jobs last year within the last couple of years. Well partly because of the, all the YouTube stuff that we do. Yep. And then we were shorthanded again and I had somebody helping with sales. Uh, but now uh, I'm back to sales and more focused on the business and marketing. And then we got the proper crew in place. So no more tools for me. Nice. That's a good thing. It's not a negative thing, man. No. Um, everybody can reach out to him at www.theconsciousbuilder.com. Email is info at theconsciousbuilder.com. And you're all over social. I mean, you got a few channels that you're all over social, right? Under the same ha uh, handle, it's the underscore conscious underscore builder. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think if you search handles, it, you probably, know, that's about, if you, if you yeah. Google the conscious builder, we hop, we pop up everywhere so nice nice all right so i want to start off the show uh thank you to jason guest from guest contracting for the t-shirt that he sent me and so I'm, I'm i'm sporting that on today's show and just giving him a, a little bit of a shout out he was on the show earlier this month and we had a lot of fun with him and walker and uh, and john from mcneil construction there so uh where do you want to start casey uh how far back do you want to go as far back as you want to go. Was it always called <laughs> the conscious? Like it was it always that business or was that the business that you were always building from the beginning? But I can only assume that you didn't start it that way. No, it didn't start that way. Not at all. Uh, if I go back uh, a little bit, I guess, before I started the business, I worked for one. I only really worked for one company before I went out on my own, but I worked for them for almost seven years. Started working for them right out of high school. Uh, it was a great company. I learned a lot. Great carpenters there. I started running jobs when I was... I think it was, it was 19 or 20, must've been 20. Uh, when I started running jobs for them, like doing additions and stuff, eventually was doing infills for him. Uh, and when I went on my own, obviously I had to go backwards a little bit because you have to build a name up for yourself and just take on the work that you can get. And that I was always doing side jobs. So that, you know, just lucked out into doing some work for a designer because of, uh, it was actually my ex-girlfriend's aunt who I'd been doing work for connected with this designer. It kind of grew from there. Got it. And connected with the local builders association. So Goba, which was a big help learned from a bunch of great guys there. And it wasn't until, uh, I think we were about two, almost three years in business when I started to think a little differently. So at that point I already been in construction for about 10 years, but my wife and I went to a Tony Robbins event and oh, called okay. Unleash the Power Within. Yeah. And that event, like, changed our life, essentially. Not you know, not even exaggerating, because we came out of that event with a lot more questions than answers, which means it's a good event. Did <laughs> so you eventually answer all the questions? Uh, I think I still have lots of questions, okay. right? We're still always working through. I don't think they ever they ever stop. But, you know, one of the big questions when I came out of that is, you know, what do I want to do with the business? How do I want to 
uh, how do I want to be remembered? You know, what do I want to leave behind? And not long after that, we went to another Tony Robbins event and found out that we were having our son uh, at the time. We didn't know it was a son, but found out we were having our first child. And that's when everything started to really start to click, right? Because I was like, all right, if I'm going to tell this little person that he or she can be or do whatever he wants, and I got to lead by example, right? Yes. And, and what do I want to leave behind? How do I want to? How do I want to do that? And the word conscious started to come into focus for my wife and I because we started doing a lot of different things within our personal lives, not just construction, right? Just uh, eating better, uh, really understanding what works for us, what doesn't work for us. Uh, what are we doing to the environment? What materials are we using? What are we breathing in? What are we bringing into our house? All, all that sort of stuff. So that's when conscious started to come in. That word really started to come in. And Conscious Builder was originally the tagline and uh, we turned it into the company name. Nice. And you built a brand. And I want to let everybody know that we're talking about the Ottawa area, right? So you kind of focus, that's where you're from and that's where you focused your work and you focused your brand in that area. Um, if anybody's interested in, in paying attention to that. So I, I wanted to get an idea, Casey, on some of the, the first, I guess, the steps when you sat down with your wife and you guys were figuring out where this brand shifting was going to happen. What were the key things? You know, we always make these lists. We're always talking about, you know, make a list of all these things we want to do and then just take the top 10, top five or whatever. What was there, those top five that were really standing out for you to make your brand work and grow from there? Uh, I don't know if I worked through that exercise exactly, uh, but I, I think like what, any small business, it really starts with the values of the owner, right? So for me, I started to think about what what are my values in life right and and what's most important so when i when i wanted to build something so the the words that were coming to mind for me and which still comes to mind is, is fun right so uh fun for example like it, not every situation is fun especially in business there's a lot of situations that are not fun especially in construction uh, yeah. but fun can be brought into all situations right so it, it really becomes more of a mindset than anything and something that i'm still practicing uh trying not to be too serious right so well but you guys got uh, into yeah. it because of the fun we we all get into it because of the yeah, fun exactly. the pleasure the pleasure that we have from it right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and but some in some days it's it's easy to forget that <laughs> when you're dealing with certain things, right? So yeah. absolutely, I still love it, and that's why I got into into construction for sure. Uh, the other thing was mastery. So perfection is really not attainable, uh, but mastery is. And mastery to me is really just making sure that we're do always our best selves, that we're always doing better than what we did yesterday. So that's something that I bring in is, is I don't expect anybody to be perfect on that. I don't expect, you know, I expect mistakes are going to happen as long as we don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, and then the other one is honor. So, and the honor is, could be the same as respect, but that's uh, honor yourself, which a lot of people tend to forget to do, honor others, honor the environment, honor the homes that we work on. Uh, so those are the three values that uh, I really, that I, that are important to me, that I brought into the company. We've been building it around that. And uh, obviously the conscious builder aspect in terms of what we do ma uh, matches all of those things. Was it a challenge, Casey? Because I mean, I know that when we, and I've always been a huge push uh, for this, I always try to present and, and we educate ourselves as GCs and people in the business. We go to certain trade shows. We're always product searching, trying, you know, going to PKs or what have you. And we want to make, you know, better builds. We want to make better projects. Was it a challenge to get the clients on board at first? Because that is you're, you're paying a slight premium to make your home better, right? Was it a challenge? So the way that we approach it, uh, at first we were taking, like I said, we were taking whatever jobs we could get right to build up that brand. 
how we launched it is I don't necessarily recommend is we built the passive house, a certified passive house for ourselves, and then use that as kind of our building block to our, well, first to learn from, uh, then to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And then from there, we were able to use that as the kind of our, our marketing project in terms of what's possible. Uh, you don't have to go to this extreme, but here's what we learned and here's why it's good. And, and going through that process, that's when I started to educate myself on what actually makes a better building. Uh, so once we started to do that, a lot of people were reaching out to us just because of that. So I didn't have to, we, we set ourselves up in a little niche market where I didn't necessarily have to convince anybody. And if people were coming to us to just do minimum building code stuff at first, you know, we we're taking it and I was trying to educate them and hopefully they were choosing another option that would improve the health, the comfort, or the efficiency of their home. Um, but not always. Now we're at the point where we can say, look, we're only doing projects that at least have that in mind. And the way I approach it, though, is like the conscious builder is not about, you know, we're not going to say, here's how you have to do it. And that's the only way to do it. It's a matter of educating the client because everybody's different. We all have a different amount of money. We all have different uh, goals for our projects, for our lives. We all have uh, different phases that we're in. So it's not up to me to make that decision. The way I look at it is like, look, here's the options. Here's what we recommend. And here's what we think is best for you. But ultimately, it's your choice. And if they want to use one installation over another installation or if they want to reduce something uh versus you know improve it that's unfortunately not up to us that's up to them and we go with that now the clients that come to us are already thinking differently they're thinking that way so there's usually some aspect of that involved so uh it's it's nice that the conversation is there it's very very nice Sorry, that the my headphones just no, no, uh no disconnected problem. one sec one sec You good there or no? Uh, one second. Okay, now I should be able to hear you. You can hear me? Oh, you're fine? Yeah, sorry. My, my wife just started doing a workout and my <laughs> headphones switched to the iPad and I started hearing hovering with your knees. <laughs> all good, all good, man. We're, it's all about the conversation, which is actually ironic that that's yeah. exactly what it was. It's like you guys were building a brand that at least you were having the conversation with potential clients and, and it didn't, and I agree with you 100%. It's not, I'm not building your house. I'm not making you or forcing you to use every single idea or product that I want to present to you. I'm just presenting the options. You guys decide where we want to go and i'll let you know the benefits attached to that and that's it and, yeah. and that's a smart way to do it to because it opens up the market at that point right yeah and as long as we're not like if there's anything that they want us to do that either you know wasn't up to building code standards or was going to cause an issue or we believed was going to cause an issue in the future then that's where we say no we're not doing it um, but other than that there's uh there's no need to to tell them what to do it's, it's their dream home right it's it's their their opportunity. Uh, yeah. So when you guys were building the first house there, uh, what were some of the key things that you guys said, these are a must, we want to achieve the passive, we want to do this. So what were some of those things? Yeah. So obviously when we're going for the actual passive house certification, we have to hit the targets in terms of the energy usage, right? And the heating and cooling and hot water. So that, that was an absolute must. Beyond that, passive house didn't have any requirements for materials or anything. So any, everything beyond that is really up to whoever's building the home. So for us, we wanted to, you know, make it feel where we were building. There's a lot of like modern gray houses. Everything was very gray. So we're like, we don't want a gray house. So we wanted more of like a farm style house. So that was important for us. We wanted to keep it simple because the simpler the design, the easier it is to get to that passive house level of 
uh, air tightness, right. And to work those insulation details. Cause the more bump outs, as we all know, the more complex we make the build, the, the harder it is to make it efficient, to make it comfortable and so forth. So that was, that was a must. Uh, so we ended up going with a red brick on the outside, uh, and going beyond that on the inside. One thing that we wanted to do is within a passive house, because your walls are so thick, at least where we're building, uh, you have the opportunity to kind of put your window wherever you want. So our wall was about two feet thick with the masonry and we could put our window in theory, when you model it, sometimes it's better towards the inside, but then what happens is that you end up with a a heck of a detail on the outside outside. for that windowsill. And you kind of lose that nice windowsill that you could have on the inside, which is basically big enough for a bench. Right. So we ended up that doing that. So that was a nice, uh, that was something that we really wanted to make use of those windowsills. And that nice thick wall and, and something that you kind of see like in an, in an old stone house, right? Where you have really thick walls and you can yeah. have this deep window ledge where you can do whatever you want with it. And then we wanted to use wood locally where we could. Uh, so we ended up uh, using a company called Logs End to do all the, they pull wood out of the Ottawa River. Uh, so we had reclaimed pine floors throughout the entire house. Oh, wow. Which is really nice. Uh, yeah. They do other wood and they do engineered wood now too. Uh, so great company. And the other thing in terms of uh, design is uh, we wanted uh, trim work that, you know, from what that we had. So my mom at the time owned property in Vermont. So we were able to bring up a bunch of the butternut that they had taken down on their property. Oh, and we wow. made all of the trim work throughout the house with yeah. the butternut. Nice. Uh, so those are all great things. And then there's obviously other, you know, we had to work there. We had like a, a separate office slash Airbnb unit and then a gym area, like, you know, those. So it was in terms of... Uh, uh, a passive house it was, it was large. So we get a lot of people commenting on that, but at the end of the day, like when you think about sustainability or anything like that, I feel like it has to feel sustainable. If you're, if you're not, if you feel like you're sacrificing something, then it's not really sustainable. Yeah. And a lot of people want certain houses. So the house looked big because the walls were so thick, but in reality, it wasn't massive, right? The first two floors were, were 2,800 square feet and we just happened to have a walkout basement. So with a finished basement, so we ended up with like 4,000 square feet of finished space, but uh, that's a good uh, size house. Yeah, it was it was more house than we needed for sure. Yeah, and then um, mechanically speaking, what did you guys end up going the route? Did you go electric or did you still go on forced air? Yeah, we went all electric. So that okay. was the other the other thing that was a must is we wanted to get off of fossil fuels. Uh, so the entire house was electric. The entire house only needed about eighteen and a half thousand BTU. Uh, oh, the whole 4, house square feet, the whole house. Wow. That's all we needed to heat it. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up doing uh, mini splits throughout. So air source uh, heat pumps. What we learned through that though, is that we are expecting our ERV system to be able to distribute the air a little bit better, uh, but it didn't. So we, you know, we had to put a couple extra heaters in beyond the three. We only had three, which was technically more BTUs than we needed, uh, but it became more of a, how do you get, the heat to certain rooms <laughs> or closed doors and, and everything so how did yeah. you solve that problem because that's the biggest problem when we start talking not going forced air going electric yeah yeah so we didn't have uh the the in the summer we were fine there was no issues there because we had where we had the two units was outside the three bedrooms on one side of the house and in our master bedroom so it was fine you open the doors it would kind of drop down to the main floor uh, we did rough in for another one on the main floor. We never actually installed it, but the people who bought the house did. Or sorry, I think it's on third owners now. Actually, he ended up installing it. Oh, wow. um, the other area was in the basement, and we didn't. We kind of had the separate 
Airbnb unit, which had its own unit, which worked fine. Uh, but like kind of the other part of the basement that would get a little cool in the winter, uh, when the sun wasn't out. Cause we had like, I think that opening, if I remember correctly, was about, uh, 22 feet wide of like glass went the whole length of the, of the room. So when the sun was out in the winter, it would heat it up, which was great. Um, but if you had one, a few days without sun, it would get a little cool because the glass is still the weakest point of the wall assembly. Yeah. And then words there, I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but did you guys get all tech savvy in that house too? Or was that a kind of a slight contradiction to the passive rating to have all that system in there or clients don't matter we at that point? Could have, when we built it, there was less available than now. Cause when we built that house, it was almost 10 years ago now, nine years ago. So okay. there wasn't as many options, uh, as there are now. Uh, I also wasn't, I did look into some smart home connections, but it was going to blow our budget even more than what we had already done. Uh, so we left it as is I'm kind of on the fence personally on, you know, how much smart stuff I want in my I'm house the same way, man. and tracking me. So yeah, <laughs> I know I'm the same way. And it's just like, you, you want that technology inside your house, but you don't want it inside your house. So I guess you, I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with clients about that, about building a certain type of home and then having that opportunity to not do it, but then you're going to be stuck at that point. No. Yeah, we, the only technology that we've had with people, because we ha- we also had uh, solar panels on that house too, which we were like, we got in last minute on the microfit, which is great uh, for the, for that home. But a lot of our clients are really interested in in tracking their energy, but nothing beyond that. You know, they, they seem to be okay with, you know, whatever they can buy their Alexa or their Google or stuff like that if they want to have that in their house. But nobody's really been too keen on wanting to like introduce like, smart switches or, you know, you walk into the room and it comes on or you pull up to your driveway and the garage door opens and the lights turn on and that sort of stuff. We haven't had too many people interested in that or really any who have really brought it up uh, that they wanted to integrate at the beginning of the project. Cause they can't go without it. That's the thing is that we need it. We need it right now. We're, you know, we're doing this call right now and we need it right now. Um, I, you yeah. probably have a better idea about this. An average house consumption wise what are they like? What's an average house consume versus, and what's the drop when you guys start coming in and you get an ideal client, you get an ideal client and they want all the bells and whistles from you guys. How much of a drop can we see? So I can't tell you a hundred percent after they move in. Cause I haven't gotten, you know, actual readings from them. We do have one client who's now we did a major retrofit and he's starting to share data. So he's, he's going to be sharing more with us. He's been on our, he's on quite a, few of our YouTube videos actually recently. If you're interested in the chainsaw retrofit. Um, and it really depends on what level they go to. So if we're talking renovations, like I can tell you on one renovation that we did recently, we we were able to drop the consumption by about 67% in terms of heating and wow. cooling. And we didn't do that much. This is really focusing on air tightness and adding a little bit of insulation to the attic. Uh, and we upgraded some insulation of the walls. We didn't do anything on the exterior on this house because it was all brick. Um, so that that was that was one house. Uh, we did also do oh, test my memory on this. There's a video if you look on our YouTube channel. We did a one of the projects that I ran last year was an old stone house yeah. uh, that we did a major retrofit to, uh, and that one we reduced significantly. And the only reason it didn't go down more is because we didn't do anything in the crawl space in the basement. So there's still a lot of air leakage. So they were like 60, 70% reduced. And so imagine this, like a, um, 
a this house is built in the 1800s i think so it's like 120 year old stone home and that whole house is heated with electricity now i believe it because how thick are well it's all rubble foundation it's all rubble we added two layers of insulation on the inside and we improved the air tightness oh wow um but now it's all it's all heated through a Mitsubishi Zuba system and a proper ventilation system. And it's so funny that when you talk about electric heat, especially here in Canada, but a lot of Europe is electric heat as well too. It's not yeah. expensive when you build the house correctly. It doesn't become. No, it depends where you are. Like yeah, where yeah. we are in Ontario, it's expensive. But go to Quebec, it's all baseboard, like electric, right? It's electric resistance because the electricity is so cheap over there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wanted to get a better idea. So what is your go-to installation, your wall assembly, when on the first house that you did and the current houses that you guys are using right now, what are you guys always going to or recommending to the clients? Uh, Rockwell. It was Rockwell nine years ago, and it's still Rockwell. Double today. layer? You're doing double layer? Or is it single? No, they. I guess the biggest... Uh, are- so they have a comfort board. So what we're... Like if it's a best bang for your buck, so to speak, two by six wall with your R22, R24 bat, if you really want to go to that, but R24 bat's a little more dense. So we've had some drywall uh, nail pops with that. Uh, and then we do the comfort board uh, on the exterior and that could be two inches, three inches, four, whatever you want to get in terms of thickness, just depends on the, on the target that you're trying to hit. Uh, for our passive house, that was actually more like four layers. We had two inches of comfort board on the outside then we had an R22 bat in the two by six structural wall. And then we had an R32 bat in between because it was a double stud wall yep. and then another R12 bat. And then what uh, were you guys using? Were you using poly for your uh, your vapor barrier or were you using an intelligent kind of material or something? We, it was a smart. So at that time, uh, what we did is we weren't, we didn't have some of the products or I wasn't aware of them at the time. We just used Typar on the exterior for our weather barrier. Uh, the air barrier was actually a half inch fiberboard that was inside the two by six wall. So it would have been like in the middle of our wall assembly. Yeah, so I got we it. didn't have to worry about penetrating it. Yeah. And that was and two inches thick? For... That was sorry. That was two inches thick. Uh that was half inch. Half inch. So thick. that was just on the that was on the inside of the two by six. So we weren't using it on the exterior. So we it could have been used on the exterior, but we just used it in between the walls and then we taped all the joints. So that, that was, was like a fiber, barrier. like a fiber board or something like that. Like a wood based. Exactly. Is it a wood yeah, it's a wood based yeah. product, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm a fan of that as well, too. Yeah, there's some great products. It just ends up being more expensive. Like we've done some houses on the exterior, we did that, but it's and you can use it as your air barrier, your weather barrier, like everything. But it's it's an expensive product. It's funny how um, all these products are also. Uh, I actually installed that product myself, and you have to use a new type of pneumatic nailer for that. You can't just use, uh, I guess, whatever's in the arsenal of a framer. Uh, you have to actually use a specific crown staple, I guess, on it, and it has to be done or adhere a certain way, right? Like installed a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Depends so there's, there's a little bit of a learning curve, not not much, but it's a little bit of it when it comes to the trades. Yeah, exactly. Anything that's new, right? There's going to be a learning curve, but once you get the hang of it, then you can then you can fly. You get better for the next project. How is the challenge, Casey, when it comes to windows? I mean, windows are such a huge detail in every build that we do. But when it comes to trying to be more conscious of things and and trying to possibly hit passive windows and still stay historic. You know what I mean? And and not, you know, beautiful like that house you just described, you know, 100 plus years. And all of a sudden, let's throw some casements, casements in there. No, it doesn't. You're not supposed to. How is that challenge? Windows are always a big conversation on that house. We actually just 
did do casements. Well, it was kind of a combination of casement and awnings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I've been in those meetings. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it actually didn't, they didn't look too bad because of the way that the, the windows were designed. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a big conversation, especially on materials too, because you know, your best bang for your buck are your PVC windows, but they're how long are they going to last? Right. <laughs> so that that's, that's yeah. always tricky, but that's, and you know, that's typically where people are going just because there's other places that they want to spend their money as well. Um, and when you get into like passive house certified windows, like those are extremely, they're, you know, the Mercedes or the probably beyond that, right. You can call them the Lamborghini windows. Yeah. They're Maybach. <laughs> they become Maybachs now. Yeah, the no, Maybach, they, yeah, they, yeah, they've gotten really expensive now, but they're, they're, they're proper. I mean, they are good yeah. units and they're designed. And when you actually see them and cross section them, you're like, this makes so much sense, man. Like this actually makes yeah. real good sense, right? But okay, so I mean, I guess, tough, I guess it's tough. It's a tough conversation. Yeah, the, the toughest part too that I've found is service. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of window companies out there that talk a big game and then you love their products and you try them and then their after sales service is garbage. Uh, and you know, you're not wrong, man. Like you're not wrong. It's true. I know once they made the sale, they don't realize yeah. about the next sale which is a shame. Yeah. And then we can't recommend them again. Right. Cause we've run into issues and it's taken us two years to resolve like warranty issues with some of these companies. And we're like, sorry, we can't, we can't work again. We can't tell them that when we're going through the warranty, cause we want to like have some like pull with them. Of right? course. Like, right. That's, and I'm, I mean, I am a fan of wood windows. I mean, but then you are, you are paying that premium for that. And then you start talking about uh, hybrids, but I, I I lost interest in vinyl windows a long, long, long time ago. I just don't like. I, I, it's almost like if you purchase a vinyl window, you're already purchasing it to be replaced, and that's not the purpose yeah. of the window. The window should, there's a reason why you walk into these older homes and the windows are still there, original, true, and everything. Like there's a reason behind all that. So I think that's what they should be looking at. But yeah, I mean, you know this. Windows are a huge ticket item, that line item on that budget, massive item, right? So. Yeah, we've, we've, there are some vinyl windows, like we've been, you know, I'll, I'll say North Star, like we've used North Star for since I, pretty well since I started the company about 12 years ago and we've never had any issues with them. Um, oh, good. So, which is PVC, right? They're, they're vinyl windows. There's, there's, you know, but they seem to be, uh, they haven't figured out whatever they've done. <laughs> They figured it out. We don't have any service calls with them. When we did have an issue, it was quick, but it was hard. I think we've had one or two over the years. Um, so now we're kind of coming up to that point where we start hitting the 15 year mark soon on some of these projects. And I'll be able to check in and see how the windows are actually doing. And they're going to go beyond that. Um, but that Which was kind of our first, if they our can first take. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me, uh, let me take a little uh, trip down history lane here. We've got a little bit of history con uh, construction information. Uh, most sustainable cities. Any idea what the top three are? Just take a stab. There's no cash prizes here. There's no right or wrong. Um, <laughs> most sustainable cities? Yeah. Are we talking like North America? No, we're talking global. Uh, and and global? unfortunately, Canada's not even on the top three list here. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't think so. No. Well, we got uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, number one. Uh, public transit, uh, it runs on electric. Uh, roads are designed for, uh, for bikes and not vehicles. Recycling vending machines allow people to recycle for deposit. Plans to be carbon neutral by 2025, which is not that far away. So good mm. for them. Number two, number two is Zurich, Switzerland. 80% of their electricity is renewable. Over 40% of their waste is recyclable. 
uh, recycled and also extremely bike friendly and offers public bikes for free. That's a great idea. Number three is Bristol, UK. Uh, first British city to be named European Green Capital and an award given to the town responding best to the urban environmental challenges. The UK's most eco-friendly city and moving from mostly vehicle transport to mostly bike transport. Residents recycle compost 47% of their waste. And then Vancouver, you know, so there is a Canadian, but it's 15th on the list. And the list calls Vancouver zero waste by 2040. That's the goal. And everyone's saying it's going to be an ambitious goal and it's very bike friendly. So we need to bump up our numbers, no? Yeah. <laughs> it would be, ni- be nice because I always found it funny when the first time I, that I discovered that I think it was the Germans that came over to Canada back in the 70s and built that first passive house in Saskatchewan. They used our environment to create a, a, a theory of theirs and they built the house and it's still there. And, uh, and, we, and I guess our government never fueled it, never went into it and built it further. And we could have and we should have, but we're way beyond that now. So um it'd be nice to see it yeah so to my knowledge i think it actually started in canada yeah, and yeah. i know that they were involved but yeah it was, it was canadians behind it like the whole passive house stuff started in in canada but germany gets all the, all the credit they get the credit there all right so <laughs> someone's rewriting the books there but i mean it's just like I, I'm a, I could be wrong too. <laughs> no i i thought it was the i thought they came over there from here but we're, we could anybody who knows us or whatever just send the messages and i'll ignore them um no so so from there you, you now you're building which is great and i guess you you went through all the hurdles about building the right team and 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 using different products and and understanding your brand and going from that point how, how did it all all work out when at what point i guess was it recently that you thought to yourself okay the conscious builder we've got something here it's it's a nice moving machine and it works really well yeah it's becoming you know every day that goes by it's becoming uh, a better and better machine uh, we have the the academy now uh, that i think we had talked about before uh, where we're helping other contractors. So we have a bunch of online courses there. So, but that in doing that, that's helping us become a better company, right? That's one of the reasons I love to do our podcast because you have these conversations, you learn yeah. something new, you're able to pass it on and, and, you know, stay on top of your game, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been in the works, uh, for quite some time. I, one of the biggest things is finding the right people in the right position. I, I think it's really difficult for a construction company. It's easy to kind of if you're like an owner operator and you got a crew of five or six or something, that's that's fairly easy to manage, right? And, and depending on what you're doing, uh, you, there's only so much sales you have to do in order to keep the guys busy. And there's, you know, but it's busy. I'm not going to say, I shouldn't say uh, it's easy because it's definitely not easy, no. but it, you know, it's simple. Let's put it that way, right? There's there's not too many, too many things that could go wrong in terms of your team. Uh, but when you're trying to kind of get to that next level where you can hire management and you can put people in certain roles and trust them to do their role and communicate with the clients, not be involved. That's trickier to kind of make that jump to get to that point. I think that's probably the hardest transition. And that's what we're just getting over that hump is we have amazing, an amazing team. Now we have a very strict hiring process that we stick to. And uh, we have people in those managerial roles that are owning their positions and taking responsibility for whatever it is that they have to do. Uh, and that's been the toughest thing. It's easy to figure out how to build something and go out and do it, right? That's kind of the easy part. We're all good carpenters. We can we can build stuff. Uh, it's everything else. It's all the people involved and the moving parts involved and and keeping the client happy and informed and 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 everything working on the business side and continuing to roll in the sales for the next job and so forth. Uh, that's that's the that's the tougher part. Are the younger trades, Casey, embracing this mindset? 
Are they thinking that this is a good way for the future of construction? I think so. I've had yeah. quite a few conversations with people where, and the people who are interested in working for us are interested. They know that that's the way of the future. They see it. It's being pushed. Uh, they know that they need to figure out how to build better. Right. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that's the issue. The ones that are coming up will be more informed and more interested in it. Uh, the tougher part is the people that have been in the trades for 20, 30, 40 years who are like, no, I've been doing it like this for, for years and you know, it works. This is how you do it. <laughs> well, I mean, the mindset is as it, it, it works for you, but it's been yeah. wrong for the whole time that you've been doing this. Right. I, I honestly believe that the younger trades see opportunity. They, they see Absolutely. an idea that, okay, I can improve on this. I can work from this. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can actually already get, hop into the car and start driving and then figure out how to make this better. Um, and I like that. I like that they are paying attention. They, to, they truly are. I'm just trying to figure out, I guess it's like a construction work balance. It's, it, it becomes their salesperson hat turning on now and saying, how do I convince my clients to do this? Because the clients, like mm -hmm. you said, they're conscious of the energy consumption. We're all conscious of it. We're all aware with groceries and everything, inflation, all the stuff that's going on right now. But how do we actually make it benefit us individually, which is great. I, I, I'd like to see more of those ideas. What I sometimes see with certain brands that are coming out and passive and conscious and being aware of building techniques and everything like that, it's just you're getting a lot of companies that are trying to do one-stop shop. And I don't think that all, every company has every solution for every detail of every single house. I think it's a mix match. I think it's a Brady bunch of construction. You're trying to mix a bunch of products together. But that's where you as a good builder comes into play and you do the homework and you figure out what works, right? Like we've all been down that road. I mean, we, I can give you a general example where, you know, when spray foam first came on the market, everybody was talking about it. And then they were like, put the poly on. And OBC was talking about put the poly on. And then once we started analyzing this, trying to figure out, it was wrong. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't making sense. It was rotting out timber and all this other stuff. So it's like, sometimes we're too quick. We're too quick to try something new. And I think this segment or this way of building takes some time because you have to do a cause and effect and learn from it. Um, do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's kind of the science part, right? I over the last couple of years, we've, we've heard that a lot, right? It's the science, it's the science, not just in construction, but all over the world. But what's, what's interesting is that science is, is constantly evolving, right? Science is like testing, right? What works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, once you figure out something that does work, then that's great. But the, the whole practice of that is, is not that, you know, physics is one thing, right? Physics is like, it's right or it's wrong. This is what happens. Science is a whole other game. It's like trial and error to some extent, right? And, and what works and, um, and that's, you know, there, there could be some things that we've built that there could be issues down the road, but based on what we knew, actually I have another example of that sure. uh, we didn't use this product, but one of the insulation, uh, polyisocyanurate, which is like the used in commercial a lot. It kind of looks like an ice cream sandwich. It's got a lot of times you might have foil on one side. Oh, okay. I know what uh, you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's polyisocyanurate. So that product, there is a, an article that came out this quite a while ago and I think it was green building magazine uh, that once it goes below like minus 15 it's our value significantly reduces it drops like it can't it's not a good product so if you the product itself is great if it's on like the warm side of a building but if you put it on the cold side of a building when it gets really cold uh you actually lose our value 
So it's yeah. not great for our climate, but that was used all over in all sorts of commercial applications. I'm not in commercial contracting, but that's an, an example of something that seemed great, but then we realized it didn't work <laughs> to but, what it was supposed to. And then Keep what it do in you warmer do? climates. Yeah. Work. What do you do at that point then? If you're building it, I mean, it's just, you can't do much. No, after the fact, you'd have to go back, I guess, and add more insulation to it. Uh, it doesn't completely lose its R value. It just doesn't perform as, as good as it, as it, that's interesting. Would, I wonder, I wonder in, a, in the why, right application. I wonder, scientifically speaking, why it would fail at a certain point of temperature. Something yeah. to do, I guess, with the somehow the, it. And there's other. There's a lot. There's so many great products that are going to have more. Like you know, there's a lot of talk about VIPs, right? The vacuum insulated panels, yeah. which you can have significantly high. But as soon as you poke a hole in it, there goes all your R value, right? So. So and that's the know, big these, thing. And I know that you have the chainsaw bill going on right now. And I start seeing the steel and everything like that. And do you cringe? Are you like me where you cringe where you start at, you know, clients or engineers or architects, they start coming on board and we're going to need this. Otherwise the house doesn't stay up. Right. And then all of a sudden you have to figure out how do I wrap that? How do I seal it? How do I like yeah. that? That's, those are some big challenges for, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And luckily, like, cause we've been working with, you know, our engineers for a while they're, they're, a couple of them are more willing to work with us as opposed to just saying, do this because we'll say like, yeah, we can do that, but this is going to cause issues for us other ways. Is there another way? Right. And then we work through the options to try and figure out the best option. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that is definitely an issue. And I think that's a combination of, you know, the, the client wanting one thing and the architect wanting one thing, and then us just wanting to build a box because that's the easiest thing to build. But <laughs> I don't, but, uh, I, I, yeah. When was the last box you saw? I don't, I, I don't, nobody <laughs> wants a box these days, right? We, we actually have one that's in design right now uh, that's going to be fairly simple. It's long and it'll have lots of glass and stuff, but it's essentially going to be a box. You go so we'll flat roof that, on that, that one? We're starting that next year. And that's a flat roof? No, they want a they want a pitched roof on that, which is we prefer that anyways. Do but you prefer? Just be a long, I'm long just home. curious, Casey. Do you prefer um, hot roofs? Uh, on the fence or? Do I prefer them. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think there's an application for both. We've used both. I haven't had any issues. Yeah. With either. Neither right? have I. Yeah. I just thought it was a kind oh. of an interesting way to do it. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of liked it. And then I was ta told that a lot of the southern homes in the states they're there they do hot roof applications right and uh i mean yeah. for people who don't know we're basically putting the insulation on the underside of the actual roof uh sheathing instead of putting the insulation on the, the top or the ceiling of the actual rooms on the second floor or the first floor or whatever it is and so you're creating uh i guess a uh um a, what is it called um unconditioned attic space is what you can you're, you're creating right uh yeah. which i guess technically which, which works is actually better yeah it can be better, right? For sure. So from a building, like from, if you're from a constructability standpoint, if you're able to, you know, seal your, your house on the outside, like a big jacket, that's way easier to do and can actually be a, a better detail. We're actually doing a tiny home, like a, a coach house like that uh, shortly where we're just going to go because they kind of need the loft space, right? So yes. we're just doing up, up the walls and over it. There's no eaves or anything like that. So uh, it has its applications for sure. Now it's a lot easier if you have a big attic space to like just blow in like R100 
worth of sure. <laughs> insulation yeah, too, sure. right? So, but if but if you want to use the space, and if you actually create a big enough peak, then you can always use the space as an extra storage or what have you, or even just a, absolutely. I always like you know I I always tell clients that you don't have to stop at the ceiling. We can always go higher. We just have to figure out how we're going to get up up there, right? And then how do we insulate it? And then I guess the other then you just create this domino. How do you heat it? How do you cool it? How do you circulate air? Um, I. I I, I know that in here in Ontario, uh, the heat recovery stacks, they came and went really quickly. Were you a fan of them when they first showed up? I don't remember those. The oh, so remember they stacks. were, I, this, I think they got rid of them maybe, I'm going to say three or four years ago, and, and they were trying to force it. In, they, it got into the OBC, so basically the copper coil of a four-foot section of Three oh, inch sorry. Pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, the the drain, the hot water, the, I, they were called heat recovery stacks, is what I was told, right? Yeah, sorry, the drain water heat recovery. Drain water, yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I I was adamantly against it. I just it made no sense for the application, but I was forced to put it in, and I just said it made no sense. It was not recovering what I guess the science that was behind it was saying that it was supposed to be covering. But when you've got a shower that's on the second floor and you're parking this in the basement. And you're letting the hot water, you know, drain down from the second floor. By the time it gets to this section, how much heat is it really recovering? Not much. Exactly. Right. So, so I do. So I, I like them. I like them if they're installed properly. Right. So that's where it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. The reason why I like them is because there's no moving parts. So anything that yes. doesn't have, you know, moving parts to me is is a good investment because you'll never have to maintain it. So you just need to make sure that you put it in the right, right location. And that would we uh yeah we did put one in um so what we did for our passive house is we actually put one in but because of the size of the house and how the bathrooms are spread apart we only put it in below our master shower and it was right in below the wall it? directly directly below it right and then it would pre-feed it would preheat the the cold water going to the shower see that so makes in that sense. case we were maximizing it right so yeah. we weren't going to put it way down in the basement and because we knew that that wasn't going to work. Um, but yeah, I think they, they make sense in certain applications for sure. They do, totally. They, and I agree with you on that. I just um, Are there any other products right now that I guess based on the OBC we're being asked to put in that you disagree or agree with? I mean, I'm not a fan of power vented hot water tanks. Um, talk about moving parts. I'm not a fan of it. I've always been a fan of just gravity fed. Uh, but then you've got to run that line outside of the house, but then you're going back to coal, right? So um, mm. are there any other products that you could think of that uh, OBC kind of makes us, but we don't really agree with it? Disagree? Well, we uh, one of the things that the OBC says is that you have to have a heat source in every room that has an exterior wall. Yeah. Uh, that is something that we don't agree with. I agree with you uh, on that the one. types of homes that yeah. we're building. Uh, and we ran into issues with that where my house that I described didn't have that. And, you know, I talked to the inspector and he was okay. He passed it. The next house we built that was similar. The inspector didn't pass it. Then we ran into issues and trying to get heat because he passed our HVAC. Get this. He passed our HVAC inspection, but came in a drywall. I, I can't remember what he was there for. Um, and so he's at, he's at rough and mechanical and he's passing that, but then he passed that and oh. that drywall, he came in and asked my lead on site. He goes, Oh, is that the heat source? And he goes, oh, no, that's the ERV. He goes, Oh, where's the heat source in this room? We don't have one. Well, you need one. <laughs> we already passed our HVAC. <laughs> so all of a sudden we had to put heat into all these rooms that didn't have it. And we had already drywalled the house. So, so did he like use a yellow card and say, well, I must overlook that when I was inspecting it or something. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I tried to go over his head and everything. It 
So at that point, so. you're chasing what lines that you're you're modifying at that. point? We ended up just having to, it was a fossil fuel free, so we ended up just going a combination. The costs we didn't make any money on it. We probably lost because We had to put time into it because you know we we tried to help the homeowners out on it, but we ended up doing a combination of heated towel bars, heated mirrors, and radiant panels throughout the. And house. they allowed that yeah. as a, as a as a primary heat source, I guess, because I've had this conversation where. In-floor heating is not considered a primary heating source for any room, right? Yeah, we didn't have any issues. Yeah, wow. As long as it was connected to a thermostat, uh, we were fine. That's interesting because, I mean, you know, when it all got started with all the heated floors, they all came in and I would have conversations with electricians and then uh, electrical inspections, and they always kept on saying it's not a primary. And I always feel that uh, in my own personal home, I always close all the vents that are in the bathrooms because all the floors are all heated and there's more than enough. You feel it. You totally feel it in the bathroom and you don't need. And then I end up just pushing all that hot air into other rooms that are further away. And then those rooms kind of help out. And it doesn't hurt that you've got a, you know, programmable censored thermostat telling you that this is working. So basically the inspector was wrong. Uh, You know, that's what I'm basically trying to get at. But I mean, I think that there's ways that I, I feel we do more homework than the bodies that are overseeing us. You know what I mean? And I think that the bodies that oversee us should be doing as much, if not more. But is it a manpower thing? Is it a government thing? Is it like, what's the story here? Because I honestly feel that if you're a good builder, you're you're just questioning. You're asking. You're looking. You're sourcing. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah, we all know, like, as long as the government's involved, it slows things down. Right? So <laughs> Pretty much is exactly what yeah. I was just saying. Yeah, no, no, it's, and which is a shame because we go back to that whole Saskatchewan and we, we Canada can be a leader when it comes to building. Like, I mean, there's some amazing building going on right now in this country. So we should be on that stage. I totally think we should be on that stage, especially with the amount of different builders we have coming into this country and different ideas and, and things that are and also products. A lot of great products are coming out of this country as well, too. So let's see what happens. But I don't, I, I'm not hopeful. I'm not hopeful, right? So Yeah, I know. There's a lot of... Ottawa has a lot of lofty goals. And I was back and forth sending some emails with one of the women who's running these. And the goals that they have are just... If you look at the numbers and you break it down, it's just not possible. It's and It's impossible. It's, and I said, like, you're putting your time into long story short. I'm like, you're putting your time and money and our money. It's not their money, our money into the wrong things. You need to put this back into private hands and they'll actually get things done and it'll be done quicker and better. Um, so how do we make that happen? Because as long as the government's trying to regulate stuff and control, like you, they want the amount of houses that they want us to build and reno, renovate over the next 20 years is they don't even put that many permits through now. I know. So <laughs> how are you going to streamline the permits process yeah. to, to move all those projects going? And then what are you doing to incentivize people to get into this industry to build those properties? And we all yeah. know that anybody who starts in this industry, it takes months, if not years, to get them to a certain level that they can contribute to this industry. So, yeah. you know, we're already way behind the eight ball. That's just uh, really, really scary at that point. But I don't know what else. we're not politicians. We're builders. Right. So yeah. we, we don't know. <laughs> I wish that they had more builders in politics. You know, wouldn't that be interesting? But the thing is, like a lot of these people aren't politicians either. Right. They're just working for the city or working for whoever. Yeah. And they get a job to do something. And they to them, they get their job done. And I'm not saying they're not doing a good job. A lot of them are great and they love it. And they're doing a great job. I'll say that. Um, but they're handcuffed. Too, I know. Right. I know. By, by whatever else they have to deal with. So Casey, I want to ask you, cause uh, I want to have a little fun here. 
if you were to build your dream house today, how would you tackle it? What would you do? I well, I guess with today's products and, and today's techniques, yeah. what you've learned in the last decade. I wouldn't change much from the that house that I built nine years ago. Like if I was really? to build it, stick frame it in that area, like we I'd still use Rockwell for the installation, right? Um I'd love to do modular or some sort of people, but I haven't found it to be cost effective yet. Um, for the custom homes anyways, right? So here's my question uh, to you, Casey, about modular, and maybe you can shed some light on it. The connecting points, like when you're building modular and if you're doing walls, because you can't necessarily build the entire structure and just drop it in place, it's the connecting points that I have a problem with. Like that's where yep, the failure is going to be, right? So is it, have, has anybody solved it in, in Germany or anybody else? Copenhagen? I, don't I can't know. say I've looked into it too much. A lot of people are doing that. And I've, uh, I think if people are interested, there's, there's a lot of companies who are trying to do it, but they're not in our climate. That's right. So, yeah. so that's, that's, I just had a meeting this week. Saw this amazing building, by the way, I'll, I'll share it on our socials. Cool. Yeah. It's called a, a, a Zulik here in, uh, in Mexico. And it's basically a piece of art. So get this, actually, this is super interesting. This whole place was built in eight months and had a thousand workers each day, I don't know if it was seven days a week, but a thousand workers wow. a day yeah. on this. And they built the whole thing with no plans. There, Cause that was my first question. Cause I was talking to them. I walked through it. So I'm like, how do you draw this? You can't draw it. Cause it's just like curves and like everything. It's just a big piece of art. Wow. Basically imagine an artist coming to site and saying, I want this and I'll do that. And then like the workers would do that. But what's, what's the house called? Mind. It's called the Azulik. A-Z-U-L-I-K. So if you look up Azulik, you'll you'll find a hotel in Tulum. But outside of Tulum in the town called uh, Francisco Umay, there's the Azulik Umay, which is more like a museum and an art piece where people can go. And uh, it's it's wild. Um, But it kind of blows your mind because they they built it with like roots, local roots and local wood and trees. They keep trees in place here. Uh, They don't have to because they don't have to dig down for frost and all that stuff. Right. So they just build around trees and they keep it. Uh, and they used like a fiberglass on the outside. There's no insulation to this building it must cost a fortune, but they use fiberglass as like the coating over top of all these roots okay. on the exterior. Yeah. But apparently they use resin from like a local tree to do it as well. So super, super interesting. Have you gone in? Are you allowed in or? Oh yeah. I went in, I, I toured it on, on Monday. I was wow. in there for like three hours. I took all sorts of pictures. I'll, we'll yeah, no, I totally. I want to see that. I share them. I, that's amazing that they did I'll, that. I'll, I'll send them to you later too. Are you uh, are you more that. surprised that they built this basically just by thought? Like it wasn't really built by formal standards? I was amazed. I think the thing that amazes me the most is how do you have a thousand workers on site each day and keep them working <laughs> mexico uh yeah. you know what I mean? that, you know i'm trying to figure out can that actually happen in canada i don't know you can get a yeah. thousand trades on one site what's going to happen Ma- um, imagine the fines that we've there, uh, there would be a lot well stuff, right? there'll be a lot of hazing there'll be a lot of hazing between trades so i can really picture the electricians and the plumbers at that yeah right? so i mean that's an amazing story i love it i look forward to see the pictures i want to check it out myself so Sorry, going back to your house there um so it's it's fascinating that you would still build very close to what you did the very first time yep because i think uh, overall like we weren't reinventing the wheel we stuck with stick framing we kept the structural towards the outside i know that that's not what people love to do because if there is any water issues you could have issues but i think if you do the wall properly uh 
and it, it'll be fine. But we were able to build the envelope, get it closed in for the winter. Um, wasn't anything spectacular. The diff, if you know, try to avoid the crazy big openings that we had, like any large openings that require steel, like which we did in that house. Um, but I think overall, like I, if you're building in Canada, there's a reason why we have pitched roofs. There's a reason why we have overhangs. There's a reason why houses were built. They were the, the way they were hundred, 150 years ago. And they're still standing, yeah. even though they had no insulation. Right. So I, I think a lot of that still makes sense. Um, the difference would be for me would be maybe how we heat and cool the house. Um, and how we ventilate that we, the, the system that we chose for the ERB, uh, the company went out, went out of business, they, they shut their doors. Um, oh, but it would shame. be more conversations around that and finding a good window company that has a proven track record, that window company, we was also went out of business, <laughs> but, uh, th those are more the things, but overall, like the way we built it, I, I, I wouldn't change very much, um, because we weren't, we weren't reinventing anything. Well, I mean, that's, we that's, that's, a test, that's a testament to you, right? To the brand and to, to what you've learned over the years that if you yeah. build it this, this, this way, I mean, I, you, you've seen all the houses, I guess, here when someone builds a McMansion, I call them, right? They're just very gaudy, very big, very useless in space and, and mechanically speaking, functional speaking. And, and someone can move in the year after it's been built and already start talking about changing everything. And that says a yeah. lot about that structure versus what you built a decade plus ago. Um, and yeah. that's, that's the different mindset that I think clients and also tradespeople need to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like I said, we use tire power on that one. I I'd, I'd use like an adhero or some sort of better product on the exterior. Uh, and so maybe we change where the air barrier is, but I think a double stud wall with Rockwell insulation and figure out where you it's want your air barrier. Just, yeah. Just makes the sense. best way to go because you're, you're running, you're keeping insulation solely undisturbed in one wall and then you're running mechanical services through the other wall and then you're never penetrating a hole. And that's, that's the whole thing is everyone yeah. clients need to understand that we don't want to penetrate holes in any of the wall assemblies. That's where the, the problem comes from, from uh, yeah. losing. And, if, and if somebody's looking for like a cost effective way, like a good wall assembly, that's even simpler is just stick with a two by six wall and add your insulation to the exterior. Right. And, yeah. and you have your, you can do your air and weather barrier before the insulation goes on. Right. So on top of your OSB or whatever you're, you're using, that can be your air and vapor barrier. So you still don't have to worry about penetrating the air barrier when you run all of your electrical inside that two by six wall on the inside. So we do a lot of houses like that now that are going for net zero energy certification or net zero energy ready. Uh, where we can hit those standards that we need by doing a two by six wall with an R22 bat and, you know, maybe three inches of insulation, Rockwell comfort board on the exterior. I wish somebody would improve electrical boxes <laughs> and, and also the, the way to vapor seal those boxes. I just, I, yeah. I, I find that they're still archaic. I don't know why in today's day, someone hasn't designed a better mousetrap for that. You know what I'm saying? But if you have, if you take care of your air barrier elsewhere, it doesn't true. matter. It's true. Because that, right? that, that, yeah. your vapor barrier doesn't need to be continuous. That's but, another argument that, or not argument, but conversation that comes up with inspectors. If they don't understand where the air barrier is and they expect us to tape our vapor barrier, we just say, no, <laughs> we don't need to. Here it is in the building code. Then you got to give them a little bit of a crash course and, and yeah. some will <laughs> accept it. Some of it will be insulted by it. 
But I know I, 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 I'm talking more about standard OBC uh, requirements. So you just have a standard two by six cavity and everything's running through that. And then you have, as long as everything's done, and we've seen this, we've seen all the trades just do exactly what it's supposed to be done, but it's not serving the purpose of the actual heat loss. That's that's the, where I've got a problem about it. So you have to take that time and effort to seal these penetrations properly at that point, right? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Cool. All right. Let's talk a little bit of OBC here. Exterior stairs. Uh, exterior wood stairs must not direct contact, must not make direct contact with the ground unless treated with a wood preservative. Um, are they still asking for that? Like when you're doing, I guess, PT lumber and you're doing the offcuts, you still have to do the end cuts as well if it's touching ground. Yeah, as far as I know, that all needs to be just PT yeah. sitting on the ground. Yeah. But the moment yeah. you cut PT, you're supposed to seal the end. Yeah, right? you're supposed to seal it. And at one point, I know my, my guys were, um, we did on a on a recent job a lot of my guys like when we get into stuff like that it's our finish guys so they're very detail oriented so they're putting time into stuff like that but also if you're using cedar then you're good if you use like a, a cedar treader if you use a good wood like that yeah so exterior concrete stairs with no more than two risers must either be supported on unit masonry concrete walls piers at least six inches in cross section or be cantilevered from the main foundation wall cantilevered concrete steps must be anchored to the concrete foundation walls at least seven and seven eighths thick uh yeah that makes sense backfilling and grading must be done to ensure that the uplifting forces caused by freezing soil does not damage the cantilever concrete steps or the walls so we've seen this by i guess uh builders putting in pre prefabricated concrete steps or whatever and they're sitting on angles so they got to be anchored with these bolts and that's it that's a little bit of obc talk casey where you want to go from here now man doesn't really matter where we want to go. Do you want to make this about uh, helping out their younger younger trades, maybe? Sure. How to get uh, trades, how to improve the business. I mean, it, it, that's always the, the go-to. It's almost a theme uh, to the point where I'm, you know, I, ca I can consider changing uh, the name of the show uh, because that's yeah. always the question that comes <laughs> up, right? It's just how do we attract more younger people to get into the trades to understand that this is a viable career for them? Um, I think what you're doing and how you're building is definitely an interesting angle for them. That makes it a lot more attractive. So then there's, there's yeah. more purpose behind their trade and their skill. I think at that point, they, under, they have a better understanding of building techniques. Yeah. We could also talk about, um, some of the issues, I guess, running into like financing and banks and so, you know, I think you have that construction <laughs> bone to pick. Yeah. <laughs> When you say yeah, financing, what are you talking about? Uh, you're talking about the, the clients or the budgeted or the, the actual trades uh, rates? So and financing, actually getting financing for building better homes. So it's uh, the, the, the way that homes are appraised do not really allow you to build a better home. You don't get value for it, so to speak. I agree with that. You. That's uh, that's I, an issue. I agree with you. Well, then again, you're talking about inspectors that are not familiar. And you're trying to educate them about vapor barrier and where it is. It's no different with bank assessors, right? Like adjusters. Yeah, right? it's like, exactly. It's yeah. talking about banks and appraisers. And yeah, so they, they come like, in and they look at your property. But at the same time, no, go ahead. It, it comes down to people. At the same time, it comes down to people edu uh, being educated so that, that they 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 ask for it. Right. So that, that's one thing. If people are, you know, how can I make a difference? They say, well, you, you vote with your wallet, right? When you go to the grocery store, if you buy garbage food, the grocery store will bring in more garbage food. 
if you go and buy organic produce, the grocery store will buy, bring in more organic produce. So if you start demanding better built homes uh, and only pay for those and only willing to pay for that, then there will be a demand for that. And then all of a sudden there will be value for that in the marketplace. So I think there's there's a lot of different players uh, that need to be educated. And uh, at the end of the day, us as the consumers, whatever we're buying, we 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 have the say in that. Um, but we also like it's it's a it's a hard battle because people love showing off the red knobs of a wolf stove. They don't necessarily love showing off a twelve inch thick double studded wall. You know what I'm saying? Like that. So clients, yeah, our clients do. Our clients. No, no, I agree with you. Listen, I'm on the same. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. I love showing off everything that's inside that wall. I love the sh the cross section. I love showing off the detail and and the purpose behind those details. I love all that. Listen, and it's not that I'm dismissing wolf stoves and red buttons and all kinds of fancy stuff and and home theaters and all that other stuff. But I mean, those are nice. But these are also nice too. And I agree with you 100. percent If you bring in more of that and people want it. But I think the majority of the market really likes to show off that other stuff versus the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, and I'm not saying it has to be one or the other. I think it needs to be one and the other, right? So there's oh, yeah. value in this and there's value in this, right? It shouldn't be, I only get money from the bank when my granite countertops are installed or I only get so much my windows are installed. Like, yeah, no, my windows are a Mercedes, right? My, my windows are 20% of the in my house i should be paid that or i should get that value in that because these are going to last do you feel casey that and i and i've been on those projects before where you're basically waiting for the the green light from the bank uh you know and 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 it's a it's a it's a poor assessment from the green light of the bank right and uh do you feel that those clients should maybe wait instead of pulling the trigger or do they just want to get ahead and go and then all of this decision making or this assessment the you know the appraisals and stuff like that is just left on our front start the step, right? And then we have to deal with it. Yeah, it's tricky. I guess it depends on the client, right? So a lot of them, like if you're relying on the bank to finance everything on the project, it's gonna to be tougher for a project like this. You need to have some of your additional money because you're only gonna get the value like what I've been describing for certain things. So if you, if you have that value from the bank, the question then becomes how much more do you need to do the things that you want that will make you money in the long run if you're planning on staying in the home. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's tough because I don't think you'll get the money from the bank necessarily for no. these types of, for these types of projects. So if you're, if you're waiting for it, you're, I don't know what you would be waiting for necessarily. <laughs> no, there's gotta be some sort of a float at that point. Like they've got to understand yeah. that you can't always just rely on this procedural uh, part of the a building because it hurts us. And, and it's just interesting that as, as GCs, as builders, we make the same amount of money if the project gets made in 12 months or if it gets made in 24 months, right? So as soon as you agree exactly. to a contract, the client dragging things out for finance reasons or for aesthetic reasons doesn't really benefit us, right? And we, we also start losing an interest in the industry at that point because we are all about starting, middle, and finish of a project and moving on to the next starting, middle, finish of a project. Um, so we try to avoid those kinds of things, right? Uh, but it's hard and it it's... It shouldn't, to be honest, Casey, it shouldn't really be part of our scope, right? It should, like, we, no. should, we should be focusing on the build, like, just on yeah. the build and, and, and pulling that off for exactly what we discussed it was going to be pulled off for, right? Yeah, right. There's so many, there's so many moving parts to construction, so many people involved, right? So it's, 
it's definitely tricky now, you know, as a, as a GC, we kind of take on that responsibility where we have to, we have to know a lot about a lot of different things, right. <laughs> and financing just happens to be one of them. Cause we need to understand how it could work so that we can, well, if you think about it, like a lot of my conversations are, we want to do this. We've never done it before. Where do we start? That That's the conversation that I have with clients. Right. So, so I, and I don't, I'm, I'm okay having those conversations. I think, I think that's part of my job as a GC is to help educate, but I think that also helps us build the trust yeah. as part of the process too. Yeah. Right. So yes, we've done this. We've gone through this, this is what's happened in the past. I'm not going to pretend to think that I know everything about financing. I'll just say, here's what I know. Uh, here's people you can talk to who know more than me. Um, and we'll go from there sort of thing. I'll help you with whatever you need. Um, but yeah, it, it'd be great if everything was sorted out before, but I understand that that's not going to be the case. It'd be great if the plans were perfect and the clients didn't change their mind too, too, but. <laughs> but that's a different story and that's expected. We totally understand yeah. that. We expect that. I mean, I'm yeah. also seeing a lot of companies coming out and kind of financing rentals at that point and then getting started and then paying a certain amount and doing that. I guess it's just all about everything getting started and getting the ball rolling. And uh, I don't know if that's the best decision versus for a client versus maybe postponing it for six months. And maybe that six months and nine months gives the client an opportunity to sit down with us and discuss things more and try to figure out or possibly wait for other products that might come to the market. We see this, you know, six month, 12 month window when we go to trade shows and we take a look at certain things like, why don't we just get this and get that? And then plus we do more homework and doing more homework on your house is always a better thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, So I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So yeah, if you're talking about, you know, if they still don't have stuff sorted out, then yeah, I would, I would say for sure, because we've had those financing companies reach out to us and say like, Hey, we can do this. You can offer financing to your clients for that. And that my question has always been like, why would I give this offer this to the client? If I know that they can get a better rate, just going through a regular mortgage or a line of credit or something like that. Like yeah. this is for the people who can't get that stuff. And do I really want those clients <laughs> at that point? Then anyways, right. Then you're back to vetting the clients. I mean, so, uh, I, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts about how do we get the youth into this industry? So that that's one of the reasons why we do everything that we do online is, is hopefully we're getting it in front of those eyeballs. Uh, now I don't know what's being done in schools, to be honest. It's not something that it, it's came up in that conversation with the city of Ottawa, uh, employee a couple of weeks ago and their emails back and forth. Um, I think if there isn't outreach to the schools, like that could be a good use of taxpayers dollars, <laughs> right. Is to, get people or to fund, you know, pay people like yourself, like myself, maybe to go into these schools and do presentations and educate the students on what's possible. Because I know that I didn't actually know about when I was going through school years ago, like it wasn't until grade, I think it was like grade 12 when they, I found out about the apprenticeship. I had no idea. Like nobody yeah, in my, yeah. in my, in my family was in construction. I didn't know anybody in construction. I'd liked construction class in school and that was my best class, but I didn't know what the options were. I didn't know I could do the apprenticeship. So I think there needs to be an education at that point in high schools. It's probably the best use of our, of, of some of the taxpayers dollars to get people interested. Um, there's such a disconnect Casey. Like there's uh, yeah. I, I don't know how many people you've interviewed. If you had a chance to interview any of the high school 
shop teachers and, and I'm trying to get some interviews going on with some of the trade schools as well because I want to get better idea. But I mean, one of the things that the, the high school shop teacher, um, Derek, I think his name is Derek, uh, he was actually telling me that, um, would you be interested in coming in and just speaking to the kids? And I said, in a heartbeat. And if you wanted to, I could actually just reach out to a bunch of other trades and we'll all come in and you'll have a framer, you'll have electrician, plumber, HVAC, a GC, you'll have everybody here and the kids could ask whatever question you want. And then they get a better sense, a real sense of it. But I, I see what you're saying. It's just like we could do this and volunteer our time for a little while, but the government should be backing this and the government should be paying attention to this because that's actually sparking interest for these kids at that perfect age to get into this industry instead yeah. of what other programs they're trying to do. Like, I mean, it's a little sad that I hear about certain numbers, like monetary numbers, big numbers, seven figure numbers that are, are being given to certain organizations. And then the ROI of how many kids are getting in as a result of all that money being spent in these governing bodies, I guess. Um, and uh, I'm very disappointed because I think that if you or I or anybody that we know that's in the industry you were to walk right in, speak no different than we're speaking right now, that would inspire a child, a kid, a teenager to come into this business. Totally. At yeah. least check it out. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. And like, cause the trade schools are great, but if they don't know about the trades or if they're not sure, like they won't even go to trade school. Right. So what are they doing? Like even I, I heard a, a stat uh, just last week that enrollments in the U, uh, universities and colleges down. I saw, down, I saw right? that. I saw that too. And I, I like you, I saw it. I'm not surprised. I no, just, I'm not surprised I, at all. So, am, so what are people doing? I don't so where know. are kids going? That's the question. But I mean, it's just like, you, you, like, do you think the kids are paying attention? Like we know this here in our neck of woods that Ford is announcing next week that they're doing some huge plan and now they're, they're hinting at multi-generate or multi-permitted homes. And now you can walk in and, and do three different dwellings on one site. And, and that's what they're supposed to be. And they're asking for 1.2 million new homes in the next uh, period of time. And I'm like, we don't have the workforce for that, man. Like, I, no. why are you announcing this? We don't have the workforce for that. So why aren't you not paying attention to building that workforce first, then announce that? But I guess it's the political move, right? Yeah, they're, they're very big on pointing like what their, what their solution is going to be or what their, sorry, the end result is going to be of what they're aiming for, but they have no no tie to how we actually get to that, right? And they have no, they don't take any responsibility for any of that either, right? So, Yeah. I think it's, I'm not a politician. I could never be a politician because uh, <laughs> there'd probably be a scandal every single week. Uh, I mean, if I were one, I would like, if I was addressing some sort of segment of the population or you wanted to build something in a certain community, I'd actually, part of it would have to be, you have to speak to the people that are in that community or that job sector or that I have to go speak to a hundred different tradespeople. That's what I have. Non-union, union, whatever, from all over the province. I have to go speak to them. They have to have a voice and share their two cents. They have to. We have to do this before you do anything that moves forward on a political stage, right? But they don't do mm -hmm. that at all. They, it's, just, it's a shame, right? Like that speaker box, that's, like, that's what need, is needed, really. These, these politicians should be doing that. But again, we're not politicians. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy for us to sit back and, and say what could be done. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes and a lot of those things, right? Who knows who's pulling the strings for what? So sure. It's true. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit of green book talk here. Uh, Ontario construction program events and injuries. Oh, this is always a happy, so go lucky subject. 2013 to 2018 ministry of labor records, which speaking of which I've, I said it on the show several times. I want to get Monty on the show. I really, I sent him another message yesterday. Uh, I'd love to talk ministry of labor on the show. I'd love to talk about it. Right. 
fatalities, uh, roughly 20 per year, most occurred in 2017. Critical injuries, roughly 242 per year, most occurred in 2018. Complaints, roughly 5,567 per year, most occurred in 2017. 2017 was a bad year. Work refusals, roughly 10 per year, most occurred in 2016. By far, residential construction had the most fatalities, critical injuries, and complaints reported to the ministry. Industrial, commercial, and institutional construction had the most work refusals. So a little bit of insight there, just to let everybody know. <sighs> so how many right. desks were in, uh, do you have the number for how many desks were in residential? Doesn't, I don't have it broken down. No, I don't have it broken down that way, but. Uh, well, that these are the numbers. Uh, fatalities, 20 per year, uh, most occurred in 2017. That was between 2013 and 2018 based on Ministry of Labor records, right? So, And I guess the other thing is that this is, uh, I mean, a death would always be reported, um, but I guess a lot of injuries may not be reported, so they wouldn't mm -hmm. have those records, right? And definitely not uh, complaints, you know what I mean? Those aren't going to probably be reported all the time to the Ministry of Labor. So I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of data that's not out there right now. Right. All right, Casey. Uh, everybody, we're talking to Casey here from The Conscious Builder. It's www.theconsciousbuilder.com, info at theconsciousbuilder.com, and all over social, it's the underscore conscious underscore builder. You ready for the 12 questions? Let's do it. Uh, what is your favorite construction word? Uh, this may be simple. Uh, just hammer, because I think it's one of those words that just use in a positive way right when you hammer something out it's positive you, you never use that in a negative way <laughs> i'm i'm old enough to remember mc hammer and hammer pants yeah you know there I mean? you go so what is your least favorite construction word uh to go on the same theme but you know it's i'd have to say screw because whenever you use the word screw it's usually in a negative way That's right true. i screwed it up or <laughs> it's true what it's turns you on in construction? sorry what, what turns you on in construction uh, I would say the endless possibilities there. There's so many opportunities and possibilities, like, especially when you're, you're starting from scratch, it's a blank canvas, so to speak. And, uh, everything's, everything's new. It's an adventure. What turns you off in construction? Uh, the opposite of that would be people who get stuck in their ways or, or, or think that it has to be done a certain way without exploring the other options and being, and not being open-minded to it. Very, very true. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? That one I, I couldn't answer. I don't. I don't think I have a favorite curse word. All right, no, it's all good. <laughs> all right, you can always bypass one. Uh, what is your favorite vehicle in the entire world? I recently sold my '77 Westphalia. Uh, it was uh, Westphalia. It was the bay window model, so the Volkswagen buses. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. Oh, really? I that must that. have hurt. Um, pardon? That must have hurt. Yeah, a little bit, there, but it was, I didn't have any time to work on it. Things were changing because I'd ripped it all apart when COVID started, didn't have any time. So when I had it together before, like we camp in it, we did everything. So it was, but that thing, that vehicle just brings smiles to people's faces. Yeah, it does, it does. Uh, um, other than when I break down. <laughs> sort of thing. But, I'm so glad uh, that, they, they never did what they did to the bug and brought that back. Like I can't. Well, even... they're bringing an electric one back. Is it going to look the same way or is it going to be uh, that it's similar? And I've seen pictures. I think it's coming out next year. Really? Yeah. There's an electric bus that's, oh, that's, that's released. Just search the Volkswagen bus electric. It'll, and it'll, it'll pop out. up. It looks pretty cool. I was never a fan of the new bug when it first came out. I, I'm a no, fan of the old sure. bug. I love the old bug, but not the new bug. 
Um, so I thought there'd be as a little fun, fun fact, I thought there'd be more buses here because they were actually making that model. So the bay window model of the bus in Mexico up until 2008. And the only difference was that they turned it into a liquid cooled engine as opposed to an air cooled engine. <laughs> so I've seen a couple of them because the difference is you can, they have a rad on the front. Yeah. Uh, so you can tell that they're the new, newer models, but it, I thought it, there'd be more, more. It has to be liquid cooled <laughs> in Mexico, man. It can't be air cooled. Everybody's yeah, yeah. overheating, man. Uh, yeah. Least favorite vehicle in the world. Uh, I don't, I don't know on that one actually either. I, you, I can't say that there's a, you don't have a car that you don't like or a vehicle or a bus or bike or boat. Space no, shuttle? I, I think I, it's just cause my mind, I tend to focus on the positive things. Nice. So. <laughs> nice. What construction sound or noise do you love? I like hearing like a chop saw going, you know, there's just work going at, distinct sound of you know that the chop saw just turned on it chopped a piece of wood and <laughs> sure enough that's funny i didn't even ask you what color tools are you what color tools oh interesting um well i'm not really on the tools that often but you, was, uh, you still have a set like you have a set yeah of tools. I, I actually have uh hilti so they're red but they're the hilti tools my drill and uh then i ended up having a bunch of dewalt stuff as well as a bunch of yellow tools. What's the crew using? But, uh, it's just a mix match. Of they're, they're all over. They're uh, all I got like place. my Finnish guy. One of them, he's all over Festool, right? But then I got guys that are on Milwaukee, guys that are DeWalt and uh, some that are that are Makita. So they're Everybody. they're kind of all, all over. Uh, what construction sound or noise do you hate? I don't know if there's, there's a noise that I hate. It's like the, the similar to Sandy, but it's like the filing of nails and stuff. Like I can't stand that noise. It's similar to like my, it's not a construction noise, but it's just, it's the only noise that drives me nuts. Like a metal my, filing? My, like a... No, it's more like a, it's almost like sandpaper, but it's, I can tell the difference. Like, okay. you know, like when women file their nails, uh, like a grinding, a little fine tuned yeah, grinding, sound. like a fine tuned grinding. And okay. like, it's the same noise. My, we have a little dog and he picks up little rocks and he chews on them for some reason. <laughs> And it drives me nuts because <laughs> I can hear his teeth like grind, grinding, like sanding on the on the rock, and uh, it just makes me cringe. Uh, Can't do it. What's the dog's name? <laughs> uh, Winston. Winston. We got little, a peek of him during the show. There was a little bit of an ear popping off on the couch uh, there. Yeah. Tiny, tiny. Little, uh, yeah. Little Italian greyhound. Yeah, that's what we saw. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day, Casey? I'm super interested in the crypto world. So I don't know what profession within that, but that whole industry right now, I, I love technology and, and I know like internet started big in the nineties. I, I would have been too young to kind of get into that. But I think if it was a different time, I feel like I might've been dabbling in the crypto. I still do it now. I'm interested in it, but obviously I'm not going to go pick up a career in the crypto at this point, but yeah. some, something in that, I don't know if it was coding or somehow getting involved with that whole web three development is definitely got my interest. I had a lot of it. We did a show uh, with a couple of gentlemen and uh, it was an interesting conversation. And then they're going to be coming back and we're going to be talking more about crypto and talking about NFTs and things like that and just trying to figure out that whole landscape. But it is it is a pretty interesting conversation to have. I do like it as well too. I think, I think NFTs are going to be big because of the what they can do. Yeah. And it's something that we're interested in even like for memberships right for you know you want to join the the academy you have this nft that can have a value the great thing about it is that you can pay for it once be a member and when you're done with it you sell it sell instead it. of like a monthly membership yeah. right so that's just one simple 
think about it. There's also huge property ownership, right? You could have a thousand people owning one property and making income off of it through exactly. an NFT. Exactly. So there, there's huge potential. I think we're going to see a lot of really cool things happen. Very cool. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, anything that has to do with the government. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you on that one. Works and right uh, <laughs> the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home. Nice. That's all you really need to hear, to be honest. Yeah. Right. Casey, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing so much, man. And uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. So uh, everybody reach out to him, www.theconsciousbuilder.com, info at theconsciousbuilder.com, and on social, the underscore conscious underscore builder. That's it, man. We're all done. I do have uh, an Go offer ahead. for your listeners there, too, if they want to check out anything we have on the Conscious Builder Academy. So if they want to go to just consciousbuilderacademy.com and we have some online courses there, we got a group stuff there as well. But if you use C life for construction life, of nice. course. so C life 20, uh, you can get 20% off on any of our courses. We also have uh, one that's been popular is, is manage, keys to managing clients. I'm actually going to be teaching that to my team like live uh, nice. next week. Uh, and then my wife who's has a background in clinical psychology helped us make some conflict resident resolution toolkits and stuff so there's some really cool stuff there very very cool how many programs do you have or how many different videos are you uh so there's a uh one two three four we have a package too so there'd be five five options there right now plus our group nice. if i'm counting those correctly uh and then we have some more in the works right now and we're working on some partnerships as well so for some more training this is the first time hearing about it i didn't even realize this we could have talked more about this stuff i didn't realize that you were doing all that stuff that's amazing yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I thought we would have sent it through, but yeah. So it's all, it's all for training young, the younger guys, right? The guys yeah. that want to, that want to build better, that want to build a better business, whether it's, you know, a better team, a better product, uh, a better, uh, uh, overall, there's so many things in business, right? And I've yeah. made a lot of mistakes. I've lost a lot of money. You learn. So a lot of the stuff that we're training is stuff that, you know, I've been taught or I've learned through mistakes and that we're putting out there and we want to give them tools in order to succeed and and then help them do that because i know i've i've gotten a lot out of being involved with like mastermind groups and yeah. other people not necessarily in construction but there's a huge benefit to just learning from from other people's mistakes right and plus true. keeping the momentum up as an owner there's nothing that really we're not really accountable to obviously we're accountable to our clients but we're not really accountable to anybody when it comes to like growing our business or getting to the next level or going after you know dreams and not giving up sort of thing and this is where i think this is that's where we really want to help people I have you done a legal one yet? Because I mean, any person getting into this business, it's going to be a no. We haven't. Okay. That's a good one. I probably need a lawyer though. On that well, one. yeah, I know. It's, it's just, just yeah, and that's a whole other. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because I've got my opinion about lawyers, right? So it's just talk about shadiness. Yeah. But um, yeah, we talked about that. On yeah, our on your show, and uh, it, it, I, that'd be a good one because I tell you right now, and it's not to be afraid, not to to deter any of these kids from coming into this business, but it is going to be a subject that's going to be discussed at some point in your career. That's just I do talk about our contracts. There's definitely stuff in there on like the contracts that we use and how we set it up for sure. And I'm happy to work with people offline on that stuff too. Yeah. Uh, but obviously I can't speak on what's required for whatever state or province you're in. Um, but but I think the general, the general, yeah. uh, yeah. Parameters behind it. What was the website again for that? Conscious builder Academy. Okay. Dot com. All right, cool, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Casey. Okay. No problem. Thank Thanks, you. Manny. We're out of here. All right. Take care.